so good to see you all here. Um, my name is Ryan Moore. I am still the new uh, assistant pastor here, but I, I want to share something with you. Uh, we've been here for almost two months, and it was just exciting and encouraging to me to be sitting here, as I've been doing uh, Sunday to Sunday, and to look out and to begin to see some familiar faces. That is be- just encouraging to me, so I just want to share that with you. Um, if you are new here, I would love to, uh, an opportunity to get to meet you after the service. I'll try to make my way to the back there. But uh, whether you've been with us over the past two weeks or, or not, we're doing a, a little bit of a, um, we call it a mini-series, but um, it's a mini-series on mission. And so the past two weeks, Darwin has been talking about the God of mission and then the people of mission and this morning, we're going to look at the arena or the place of mission. And, I, and, and as we have been talking about this, these topics are huge. Um, I mean, you can just make a whole series out of them. And so uh, to that end, to try not to say everything this morning, I want to try to say just a few things in order to get the conversation going as we as a church begin to think about uh, not just our mission as a people of God, um, but of the place that he has placed us here in Fort Worth, okay? So to that end, we're going to sort of anchor ourselves in Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 to 20. But this being a more topical sermon stretches over the canon of Scripture, of course. But with that being said, open up your Bibles or uh, turn on your cell phones to Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 to 20. And let's give our attention to the reading of God's word. Verse 15, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Let me pray for us and ask God to teach us his word this morning. Gracious Heavenly Father, we again thank you for this day. And we pray that as we open your word, we pray that you would uh, do a miracle. And by miracle, we pray that you would soften our hearts, Lord, that we may hear this word. That you would open our eyes and our ears. That we may see and hear things otherwise we couldn't. Uh, Would you be gracious to us at this time? We pray this in your son's name. Amen. Well, it was almost about 10 years ago, uh, Ada and I were sitting in, in a uh, chapel at seminary, Covenant Seminary in St. Louis, and there was a guest uh, speaker at the chapel service, which is a weekly thing, but um, guest speaker this time, and he came and he spoke on the geography of place, and it, it was a topic that I had never ever really heard much about, and it is a topic, really what he talked about, that has stuck with me all this time. And so to that end, I want to open this morning with the very same question that he opened with, because it was that good. If I ask you, can you love God without loving people, rhetorically, of course, what would you say? And you would think, 
Can I love God without loving people? I mean, that's easy. Of course you can't love God without loving people. And, and maybe we might think of texts like uh, John 14 where, you know, you will know that people will know that you're my disciples for the way that you love one another. Now, that's an easy one. But if I were to continue on and ask, can you love God without loving a place, how would you respond to that? We might have to think about that a little bit more. Can you love God without loving a place? That might be a little more challenging for us. And so i got to ask, why is that? Why is that challenging for us? Well, for me and maybe perhaps others, when we think about our Christian lives, when we think about the real important things of our Christian lives, like Bible studies and baptisms, confession and forgiveness, place often becomes the backdrop for our lives. Maybe even the background music of our lives. And so therefore, place holds very little importance to us as we begin to go through um, the hecticness of our lives and where it takes us at any given time. And the only thing that place really does for us is serve serve any kind of need that we might have, a desire, maybe a pretty sunset or something like that. When I think about how I treat place or how maybe our culture, society treats place, a few categories arise. So first, maybe we treat place as a means to an end. We're a culture that loves college and loves sending people to college, and maybe many of you have been to college or in college. And as you know, as you go to that place, you go to that college in order to get an education, in order to better yourself, to be a productive member of society. But if I had to think about my college days, very few of us actually think about making that place better while we're there. We might be there for four years or longer, depending on how smart we are, right? If we can make it last. Um, But very few of us think about the place that we live, any, any, anything beyond that this might be a, just a stepping stone to my future plan in taking over the world. We forget that people actually live in that place, and even so that we actually live in that place, and so we don't consider making it better when we leave than when we found it. For some of us, cities and towns can become this for us. It become a place of work for us, that, that really the only reason I'm here, the only reason this place exists is for me to make a living or have a lifestyle that I want in order to get me to some other place that I want to be at. And there always is another place, isn't there? There always is some other place that we're trying to get to. Some of us can worship place. That is, we can expect too much of it, right? It's five o'clock somewhere. Or I'm just living for the weekend becomes a chorus in our in our culture, society, that if we can just get to a certain place, uh, that that will make us happy. We can expect too much of it. We can resent place, right? Some of us put our, our place in places of work where we really don't get along with those that we work with. Or perhaps we're in a place where we're around children all day, trying to raise them. And there really is no living for the weekend because when the weekend shows up, they're going to be there still. And so where is my rest And perhaps maybe we look to the bathroom as our sanctuary, but we know that there's no rest there either. (laughs) And so we can resent place. We can escape place. Our culture thrives on creating ways to escape place, whether in alternate universes through the Internet or video games or communicating with a network of friends that we have never and probably never will ever tangibly meet. We can escape into different worlds now without ever really being grounded in a particular place, we have, as one person put it, unprecedented ability to be more connected than ever before in non-geographical settings. But with all this connection and promise of community, our research shows us that we are more lonely than we have ever, ever been before as a society. 
So whether it's a cyber world or sandy beaches or even a hunting lodge that we long to, that's going to make us or provide for us this utopian life that we can escape to, it always leaves us wanting. Eugene Peterson puts it this way, utopia literally is no place. He says one of the seductions that bedevils Christian formation is the construction of utopias, ideal places where we can live totally and without inhibitions or interference. The imagining and then attempted construction of such utopias is an old habit of our kind. Sometimes we attempt it politically in communities, sometimes socially in communes, sometimes religiously in churches. It never comes to anything but grief. Utopia is literally no place. Today, given the internet or our phones, not that there's anything wrong with those things, please don't hear what I'm not saying, we really live without boundaries and borders. But with no boundaries... And no borders comes no sense of place. We can literally be everywhere. And this is exactly what James Hunter is saying in his book to change the world. He says when one can communicate with anyone at any time from anywhere to anywhere, whether through a cell phone, the internet, or some other technology, presence and place simply matter less. I have to wonder if that's true. When everyone can be everywhere, place seemingly belongs to no one. Without a sense of place, there's often no care or concern for any place beyond what it offers us at any given time. So whether we are using place, expecting too much of it, whether we are escaping place or resenting it, we think very little of place beyond what it offers us, what it gives back to us. And as a result, rarely do we think about place as mission. And just like that, place can become and does become the backdrop to our lives. It is the background music that is just there as we go about the important business of what it is we do. But what if God has something bigger in mind for place? What if God's mission in the world required that place become more important to us and not just background music? What if God's mission and our lives as believers were all wrapped up together in places that he puts us, not the places that we want to be? What if place in any season of life is actually the mission that he has for you, where his grace tangibly lands and becomes real for you and for those around you? What if place was so important to God's redemptive plans and purposes that it too was actually being redeemed along with you for all eternity? As it turns out, one of the hurdles we face when it comes to understanding the place of mission or the mission of place, however you want to say it, is actually existing where God has put us at any given time in our lives and not trying to escape it. It is reclaiming and redeeming borders and boundaries, sidewalks and hills. It's the ability to be in a place without asking anything of it. What I want us to begin thinking about this morning is what begins to move place for you from the background or the backdrop of your lives to the foreground. In other words, why should you care about place? Briefly, I want to suggest three reasons why we should care about place, the non-human creation, if you're looking for a definition, and then offer a few implications 
for us as Christians. So the first there, the first reason we should care about place is because place belongs to God. It belongs to him. Colossians 1.16, our text this morning says, For by him all things were created. This place belongs to God. All of our girls, and we have four of them, when they were born were given this sort of, it's called a, um, it's called a lovey. That's what it's called. And it's sort of this mixture of an animal and a blanket, right? So this blanket has an animal's head on it and that kind of thing. Uh, May got one as a bunny. Uh, she loved it for years. And, of course, as first graders go, we don't need those things anymore. So we've moved on. Um, Bess is starting to sort of like hers, but she's taking claim to her real blanket. She's more uh, old school, if you will. Um, Virginia, I don't know what she's claimed, um, but she uh, just kind of does her own thing. But then there's, there's sweet Ann Harden, and she's our almost five-year-old. Uh, and she is in, I should say, a very much uh, committed long-term relationship with her lovey, and it's called Barry. It's a little bear with a little blanket on it. And Barry and Ann Harden go everywhere together. Um, to say that they go everywhere is an understatement. He joins her for dinner uh, and certainly takes naps with Ann Harden. He joins her while playing dress-up and, of course, for snack time. Snack time is so important. And, of course, the occasional stroller ride around the neighborhood because why uh, walk when you can sit? But then probably the most important time that Barry spends with Ann Harden or vice versa is bedtime because, look, you can't go to sleep Without your loving. And as the parents in the room know, attachment comes with cost with these sorts of things. What happens then when Ann Harden cannot find Barry and it's 10 o'clock and she's got to go to bed and mom and dad got to go to bed for sure? What happens? A meltdown of epic proportions is what happens. We've had many close calls of losing Barry. We've lost Barry in, in airports when we were heading to destinations for long periods of time. Um, in this particular situation, some mother found it laying on the ground of the airport and said, that belongs to somebody. And thankfully went over and grabbed it and started waving it in the air, and, and we found it. We lost Barry uh, for five days while we were packing up to come here. And we feared that Barry had gotten trapped in a box somewhere of the hundreds that were laying around the house. And we couldn't find it until Barry showed up in the trash can. Which also makes us wonder, and Harden, if you love Barry so much... Why don't you take better care of him? Like, why, why does he keep getting lost? But that's another conversation for another day. I digress. <laughs> but no matter the length of time Barry is missing, as parents, you enter into that sadness and grief with your child, don't you? Barry becomes the last thing you think about before you go to bed at night and is the first thing you start worrying about. I can't believe I'm saying this. When you wake up in the morning, all for this hybrid doll blanket thingy. But if I had to ask why, why do we get so wrapped up in this, in this furry little thing? Well, it has everything to do with our love for Ann Harden. A love that says, not only do I love you, but I love the things you love. And I love the things that belong to you, even if it is a berry. Well, so it is with God and all that he has created. So it is with God and all that he says belongs to him. When we talk about the place of mission this morning, we are talking about creation, what belongs to God, the mountains, the sea, the grass, the sidewalks and buildings and neighborhoods and all of those things. And he says, those are mine. Genesis 1.1, in the beginning, God created what? The place. 
More specifically, Deuteronomy 10.14, and I love this. Behold, to the Lord your God belong heaven and the heaven of heavens, the earth with all that is in it. Right? So this is God's place, nothing new, but this is God's place, and all that is in it, it belongs to him. He loves it. It is his. And what begins to happen, though, is that the place that is loved by God begins to increase in value because of the one who loves it. Barry's value is directly connected, trust me, to the way that we feel and think about Anne Harden. And she is so precious to us. How much more the creation because it is valued by the creator God of this universe and it belongs to him. So I have to ask myself, are my initial thoughts of creation of place and the places that I find myself on a daily basis, my home, the city I live in, all that is in this earth, are my initial thoughts shaped by the fact that they belong to God and that he cares for them and that he loves them, that he cares for this place? Do I care for what he cares for? Do I care for what belongs to God so much that as I care for what belongs to him begins to match the love of what I care for, what belongs to one of my children? What we find in scripture is that place is so important to God. It's so important that he claims it as his own. Behold to the Lord belong the earth and all that is in it. And this must be the starting place for how we begin to think about place. Or maybe even rethink about the importance of place. For by him, all things were created. So we should care about place because it belongs to God. But second, place actually exists for the praise and the glory of God himself. Colossians 16 continues, all things were created through him and for him. And what this means is that when we were created, and this, this is the challenge here. When we were created, we were brought into a place that already existed, that already gave praise and glory to its creator. As Christopher Wright says, therefore, we inhabit a glory-filled earth that reveals and declares something of its creator. We don't make the earth good. It already is. One of the most famous psalms that talks about the creation and how it responds to God, Psalm 19, verses 1 and 2, the heavens declare the glory of God, the sky above proclaims his handiwork day to day pours out speech and night to night reveals knowledge this is the world we inhabit this is the world we inhabited as we woke up this morning our eyes just sort of melted or you know frozen shut because we didn't get enough sleep last night and stumbled into our cars and fell into this place before we even woke up it was doing what it was designed to do and that is give praise and glory to its creator The question I've always had as I looked at Psalm 19 was, how do the trees praise him? You know, how how do sidewalks bring glory to God? And to be sure, we'll never really know this side of glory, how they communicate in those ways. But the one thing that we can say, maybe the closest we can get to understanding this, is that the place actually reflects something about its creator. That it communicates something about who its creator is. Think about the way that you respond when you walk into a gorgeous building. Maybe this church building this morning. 
Or the other side of that equation, when you walk into a gorgeous place that has been defaced or that has been ruined or damaged, without asking it to do anything, it immediately says something to us, doesn't it? So it is with all creation. The Rocky Mountains or Florida beaches never get caught up or caught in the midst of a smoke break, if you will. They are always on the clock, as it were. Naturally saying something about their maker. And that is praise and glory. And as I was thinking about this topic, as I was thinking about this point, just this one image kept coming to mind. And I'm sure it's right there with you as well. And that is Willy Wonka. And of course, I'm not talking about the Johnny Depp Willy Wonka. We're going back to the old school Willy Wonka with Gene Wilder, there's that wonderful scene when the five golden ticket winners and their guardians come into the factory and the doors open and the camera just pans and your imagination is just set on fire. Right? You're looking out, there are gummy bears on trees, y'all. There are flowers that are really lollipops. There's a chocolate river. And you can't believe what is happening here. You can't believe what you're seeing and as, as they go out, you begin to look at the face of Willie Wonka. And he just grins from ear to ear. Why? Because that creation is just speaking so loudly about its creator. Right? And we get that wonderful, wonderful line in the movie. It comes a little bit later. But he says, look, this is the magic of it all, isn't it? He says, we are the magic makers. We are the dreamer of dreams. That is the gospel, y'all. What is it the Wonka is singing as his, as his people are going out into, its, into his creation? I never actually read the words, but here they are for you. Come with me and you'll be in a world of pure imagination. We'll begin with a spin traveling in the world of what? My creation. What we'll see will defy explanation. You thought Calvin was good. Willy Wonka was right on. <laughs> giving us the gospel. We didn't even know it. Look, I don't want to carry an illustration too far, but it might be a little late. When we begin to understand how creation says something about its creator, we can also begin to understand what happens when that creation is what? Misused. When it's defaced and no longer uh, reflects properly what its creator intended. Nobody in this room wants to be Augustus Gloop and fall into the chocolate river. That would be me. Right? But what leads us to the misuse of place is a lack of understanding the value of the place. And the value that the place already holds Because of what it says about its creator. Remember, we inhabit that. We come into that. We inhabit that world already. When we consider the places that God has put us, are we entering into what it is already saying about its creator? About God himself. At the same time, are we thinking about how to redeem the areas where the place has been misused so that they begin reflecting something about the goodness of its creator as it was meant to? That is a huge question for Christians and especially a huge question for this church and for this city. But it is an important one for who should care about the use and proper use and the misuse of God's creation more than Christians. So place should matter to us because it belongs to God. It should matter to us because it already praises and gives glory to him. Lastly, we should care about place because it is part of the redemption. 
It is part of the redemption. What is Jesus doing there in verse 20? He is reconciling all things to himself through his blood. So the cross, which pays for our sin, which gives us salvation, right? The cross that justifies us. It is also the cross that is reconciling and redeeming creation as well. Why? One, because the place is cursed. We know this. Right? It falls under the same curse that we're under. And so it's in a fallen world. And right now, the creation is groaning according to Paul in Romans 8. And it longs to be set free. But two, the place we inhabit is still good. And it is still being redeemed. As Dr. Michael Williams says, God doesn't make junk. And he doesn't junk what he makes. Yes, that is us. But it is also the creation and the place around us. Right? It is, it is your front yard. It is the Trinity River that hugs the city. It's the flowers you plant and the live oaks that lie in your street. All of it, all of it is part of the redemption. And here's the scary part. You're called to play a role in that redemption of place. And now things get real. We should all be sort of scratching our heads at this point. Because this is the part that doesn't really make sense. God takes what belongs to him. He takes what, what he cares for more than anything else. Takes what already does what it's supposed to do, and that is giving him praise and glory, and says, Here, take it, use it, make it better, make it work. What God has done is He has handed us the keys to this Lamborghini, if you will, and He says, Look, drive it around, pick up your friends, eat in it, sleep in it, take care of it, make it better. How do you do that? I don't even want to breathe on this thing, let alone drive it around and pick up my friends. It's that valuable to him. And what is this make it better stuff? But see, this is, this is what Genesis 1 and 2 is all about, right? We become, you know, we, we become the, the gardeners, so to speak. But God makes the place. He makes us from the place. And then he puts us in the place. And as God enters into covenant relationship with us, what happens to us? We enter into covenant relationship with the place. So we're called to what? We're called to rule and to subdue it. In other words, to take care of the place, to shape it, to mold it, to govern it, to make it better. How do we make it better? How do we redeem it? We govern it in such a way that allows it to flourish. My green thumbs in here know what this is talking about. If you're a gardening person or a landscaping person, like governing a bed you're going to landscape or a box that you're going to put vegetables in is all about creating space for those individual plants to flourish. Nobody digs a hole and throws tomato seeds and hydrangeas in there and it covers it up and says, I hope this works out. Right? We create environments for it to flourish. This is what it means to redeem it. Mind you, this also means cutting back things that would prohibit flourishing of other things. Making it better is to govern it in such a way that allows for the creation to do what it's supposed to do. Because that is what redemption is. It is making things new. It is making things come back to life. It is making things work as they are intended to work. That's what's happening for us. As the Holy Spirit works in and through us. But it's also happening to these walls and to the the grass outside, and to all of God's creation because he cares for it and loves it and longs to see it work and to do what it was intended to do. In the end, our redemption, our salvation, must look like God's salvation or it is no good. And God's salvation, his redemption is for what? It's for all things. It is for all things by his blood. Does our redemption look like that? Does our definition of renewal and reconciliation look like that? Is place important enough to us to be included in our practice? 
So we should care about place because of who it belongs to. We should care about place because it brings praise and glory to its creator. And we should care about place because it is part of the redemption. So can we love God without loving a place? And the answer is no, we can't. So what does this mean for us? Should I become an environmental activist, Ryan? Well, I don't know. Uh, But that might be putting your identity in the place as opposed to looking at your place as a place of mission, right? So what does having a mission of place look like? A few suggestions and we'll close. As Christians, we are called to tell the story of redemption, of Jesus reconciling all things to himself. And how we care for place is a huge part of how we tell that story. This is why mowing the grass is kingdom work, y'all. It is care for the place. The first thing that has to happen in telling the story, however, is seeing that where God has you, no matter whether you want to be there or not, is good. And it is a place that it is needing of the grace that you have to give back to it, to be in the process of renewing all things. This means that we have to start loving the place that God has put us for as long as he puts us there, right? Instead of trying to escape the place or perhaps try to get into another place, that would, make, that would make us happy. For Fort Worth Prez, that looks like loving the neighborhoods around here, as we do. It also looks like loving the city in ways that work towards its flourishing and its beauty, to care about that. This can look like a million different things as we even begin to consider the application of it, but it starts around your dinner table. It really does. It starts in your homes. It starts with your neighbors and in your neighborhoods. The mundane of life, which is really what we're trying to escape, is where the gospel is lived out on a day-to-day basis. I love what Eugene Peterson says, is God create God's great love and purpose for us. They're all worked out in messes in our kitchens and backyards, in storms and sins, blue skies, the daily work and dreams of our common lives. God works with us as we are and not as we should be. God deals with us where we are and not where we would like to be. How are you loving the mundane and not trying to escape it? How are you existing in the places that God has placed you? How are you bringing grace to the streets of the city, of the city through your gifts, through your creativity, and even your imagination to the point that they would point to a greater gift? A greater creativity and a greater imagination, and that is the story of redemption, of God redeeming all things. All things. It does, if God doesn't make junk and he doesn't junk what he makes, what resources and tools and hobbies point people to that reality by your love for place? It is just a fascinating thing to begin to think about. Second, we can talk theology and Bible all day long, but the reality is, is that our love, our love of God and our love of place, it must land somewhere. And that is really the beauty of this topic. It has to land somewhere. Of all the doctrines in Scripture, it is the doctrine of the Incarnation that sets the tone for the care of place. That God himself would come to this place because he cared so much for what it was. And that he would commit himself to death so that he could see the place flourish once again. This reality should cause us to re-examine the places he has us. And how we should care about place. God's love certainly landed somewhere in Jesus as we think about the places that he went. It landed in synagogues and in schools, around dinner tables with prostitutes. And it wells with society's nobodies. It landed in vineyards and country roads, lodges and boats, 
weddings and funerals. He made weddings better, we find out. But finally, we all know it landed somewhere much more important. It landed on the cross, where what seemed like the place or the end of place was actually the beginning of making all things new. This is the song that we are given to sing throughout this city. But it's got to land somewhere. It can't just be up here in the ether. So to close, how will Fort Worth, the city of Fort Worth, know that this is our place of mission? How will it know that Fort Worth Presbyterian Church cares so much about its city that this is its place of mission? And one way to get at that, if the doors of the church were to close tomorrow, and may it not be so, would anyone notice that we were gone besides ourselves? Would people care that we were gone because of how well we loved this place and told the story of reconciliation of God redeeming all things through himself and the way that we love this place? Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you uh, that you are God who just embodied the incarnation, embodied place, who came here to redeem all things and who is currently redeeming all things. Would we step back for a moment from the hecticness of our lives, uh, from the places we want to be and the places we're not, and would we take care of where you have placed us in your sovereignty and your goodness to us? Would we begin to love what you love and the way that you love it? Would our redemption look like your redemption? And we begin talking about that and creating uh, ways and neighborhoods and uh, city squares to get that message out by the way that we would love this place. Because it's yours. It belongs to you. We ask this all in your son's name. Amen.